Time to chat about global politics and uh, glad to be joined, uh, as usual, by Thomas Conway. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, Good to see you today. Um, The US presidential election, Mr. Trump and uh, Biden, um, you described yourself unprecedented, unchartered. Um, What's happening? What's happening at the moment? It's incredible. I I mean, in one sense, in one sense, I can't wait because anyone who's a political nut or who's a political (laughs) anorak loves these kind of things and it is the big event November 7th it's the big event of this year at the same time I I fear for what's going to happen because this campaign could be poisonous it could be toxic Uh, the degree of animosity between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and it is likely Mm. going to be a rematch of Joe Biden or Donald Trump How sure are we about that? Well I I would say barring unforeseen illness or death you know uh, and I I allude to the candidate's age when I say that they're almost a shoo-in to uh, uh, to fight it out to slog it out against each other once more That'll be confirmed by the end of uh, by the end of March, almost. Once well, the are primaries... the primaries irrelevant then? Really? The primaries are effectively irrelevant because Trump is soaring so far from a Republican perspective. Trump is soaring so far ahead in the polls. His next nearest challenger is Nikki Haley, and she's well behind him. She could be a running mate, I would suggest, uh, for vice president. Possibly unlikely. Trump has, has kind of shied away from that question. Who will he pick? But I fancy Nikki Haley as a potential running mate for him. Biden is more or less unchallenged in the Democratic ranks, and it's rare that a sitting incumbent president would be challenged for the Democratic nomination. But he has made his mind up. He is going to run again, and he looks like he kicked his campaign off effectively on Friday night with a a speech which contained a, a stinging rebuke of Trump uh, on the eve of the third anniversary of the January the 6th capital attacks. He lashed out at Trump, lashed out at the Trump supporters, uh, the Trump support base and Trump's uh, mm. Trump's vision for the country. So it's a very interesting one. So, so is that he Biden's fight for the presidency, will it centre around having a go at Trump then? Is I it, think it will. I think it will. And we have to remember, this is going to be a very different campaign for Joe Biden. In contrast to last time we were at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. Biden did a lot of campaigning from his basement literally and it suited him uh, and it suited him to keep a relatively low profile until late on in the race he eventually kind of swept in and swept a handful of states took votes from there and uh, and allow Trump to defeat himself in the election. Trump's handling of the coronavirus was the problem. In this instance, it will be very different because Biden will be out travelling the country. He'll be here and there and everywhere. The first caucuses kick off in Iowa uh, towards the end of this month, the Iowa caucus. That's a big event. You have Super Tuesday, uh, in which I think 13 states uh, vote for their chosen candidates. Uh he will have to tour all over the country and given the fragile state of Biden's health and he does look fragile at times I mean he has good days he has good days Mm -hmm. when he comes out and he speaks very well and eloquently and then he's prone to these gaffes and he's prone to uh, mishaps on on camera for, for, for sure and where Trump is concerned with the accusations uh, for example I mean how will he play that He's using it to his advantage for a start. I mean, he, and it's amazing that I'm even saying that because, you know, two states have have tried to ban him so far. Maine and Colorado Mm. have tried to take him off the ballot list. Uh, 
via this kind of complex arrangement in the US Constitution, I think the 13th Amendment. Uh, now, that's gone to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is due to rule on that. Trump is likely to get a favourable ruling for the Supreme Court. Why? Because three of the justices on the Supreme Court table were appointed by Trump uh, and are conservative, are known for their conservative views. Yes. So it's very unlikely that Trump will be wiped off the ballot. Uh, but he has a number of criminal cases following him around there, lingering in the background, uh, and he's going to have to contend with them throughout his mm. presidential campaign. Now, he will use them as fuel. He will use them literally to energise his campaign, as Trump often does, rather than uh, he will use it to paint himself as the victim yeah, in a conspiracy Yeah, they're all plot. against me. Like, yeah, that, they're all that, against me, yeah, Ex- yeah. essentially. And he does that very skillfully. He yeah. exploits the system very, very well, and he manages to, to get voters on his side and literally convince people that he is the victim in this scenario. And that is... That is what helped Trump to the White House in 2016. It may be what helps him again in 2020, uh, 2024. It's a remarkable... It's it's just... I can't get over how volatile and how, how poisonous a campaign it could become. What happens with that ability of an American president to to grant immunity or to to say that, you know, that your crimes are, are, are wiped over and that? And that? Um, what can he do about if he does get become president? What can he do about what he's accused well, of? Well, this is where the uncertainty lies because the US Constitution is surprisingly silent on the issue of criminal convictions. I, I said it to you off air. I don't think the founding fathers when they were writing the Constitution ever envisaged a scenario whereby you had somebody like Trump vying for power. Uh, so if he were to if he were to be to, to defeat Biden, if he were to be elected to office for a second time, the whole question arises, can he pardon himself? Can he give himself a presidential pardon? And there is uncertainty around that. Legal experts have have debated and you know they've gone each way and the other on it. They're not particularly sure we'll have to see as the situation evolves if that becomes the case uh, but it is remarkable really that Trump could find himself in this position as I say though he is leading so far ahead in the polls and not just the Republican Party polls the the US uh, as a whole when you pitch him up against Biden uh, uh, many of the polls he's leading Biden by a couple of percentage points so he's doing quite well Biden's approval rating is the lowest as has been for, for any sitting incumbent US president in recent history so there is real cause for concern there on the part of the Biden campaign uh, and Trump has reasons to be optimistic about this it's phenomenal but really and truly this vote will be close. It's going to go down to the wire, as most presidential elections in this day and age do. It will, be, it will come down, really, to what happens in about six states. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. They are, are they so-called swing states? They are the swing states yeah. that you want to watch. Now, a few more states may come into play. Minnesota, New Hampshire and North Carolina maybe even Florida, may come into play depending on how the votes fall. But those six that I mentioned there are the key states, the key the key races to look out because, and closer to the time we will explain the US electoral system because it is quite a convoluted system. It, it's, you know, it challenges even uh, the most learned academics, you know, to explain yeah. it. I, uh, I remember going into it last time round and it was just a minefield of stuff. So I hope you'll be able to help us where, where that is a uh, concern. We, we have to look at, uh, I suppose, global issues as well when we talk about uh, American presidency and there's so much 
going on. There is so much going on and a lot of the crises we have seen, a lot of the crises are unforeseen. So Trump's presidency, Trump's last presidency was derailed effectively by an unforeseen crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic. Biden has been forced to grapple with a number of unforeseen crises. The war in Afghanistan was one, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Obviously, Russia's brutal war in Ukraine and now the war between Israel and Hamas. And, you know, Mm. the jury is still out on how he has managed those. Of course. But will immigration in America be a huge issue? It it continues to be. It continues to be. And, And we've seen in recent weeks and months controversies arising around immigration on the southern border, the southern Mexican border. Republicans have tied that issue to the question of aid for Ukraine to make it difficult for Joe Biden to approve an aid settlement package to to Ukraine without uh, making special... Special, a special dispensation for, for the border, for what's happening at the US border. So immigration is likely to play a prime role and Trump, of course, is likely to try and exploit that uh, and use it to his advantage, as he has done up to now uh, throughout his, his political career. Biden a lot softer in immigration, but my sense is he will have to take a slightly harder line if he wants to win, if he wants to win back the White House, because he needs to convince mid-ground voters in middle America that he is the man to lead them through four more years. Never mind about his age, it's his policies uh, that I think people will really care about. I think the age question is there in the background. He'll be 85, 86 at the end of Mm. this term, should he win another term. Uh, but I truly, I think it's his policies uh, that are going to be the real test of whether or not he lands back in the White House. Let's come a little closer to home and uh, those uh, European elections as well. Uh, the EU going to the polls in uh, June and, of course, volatile as well. Volatile uh, as well yeah. and really interesting because we've seen the rise of a number of far-right parties yeah. across Europe. You have Georgia Maloney, the Italian Prime Minister. Uh, Hertz Wilders now in the Netherlands looks to become Prime Minister with his far-right anti-immigration, anti-Islam party. And you have the alternative for Deutschland, of course, doing well in Germany, doing well in the polls consistently over there. So you have a constellation of far-right parties really thriving and flourishing across the European political landscape at the moment. And it's a re- going to be a really interesting one. The vote is on June 9th. Uh, the elections to the European Parliament held across the EU's 27 member states So nationalist parties of various hues will fare well. Those far-right parties will fare well. The question is, will they fare well enough to uh, force their way into power, force their way into power maybe alongside one of the centre-right parties? And I'll just explain briefly how the European political system works. You have these kind of catch-all parties, the likes of the European People's Party, Mm. of which Ursula von der Leyen is a member, Fine Gael are a member of in this country, uh, you have the the European Socialists, uh, you have a, a far-right grouping, so you have these different mm. party groupings. You have the Green Grouping. You have the Green part. Grouping, yep. and yep. obviously the Green Party mm. of this country are, are, are members of that. So you have these loose party groupings that encompass various national political parties, and they kind of operate within the European Parliament. Uh, they compete for influence, they... They operate much the same as a national parliament does, maybe don't have quite the same degree of influence because you have the European Commission there and you have the European Council of the Heads of State uh, and there are a number of senior top jobs 
in both those institutions going. Big questions around whether Ursula von der Leyen will, will seek another term. She is likely to uh, to to put her head above the parapet and, and seek another term. Mm. Uh, but we're not sure. There are other names being thrown on, about. On what, it, does it depend on the success of the People's Party? Is that it, a, To a certain extent. Yeah. There's something known as a Spitzen candidate, which is uh, a most favoured candidate by the party which has the majority in the in the European Parliament, and that will be the European mm. People's Party. As I said, far-right parties likely to do relatively well, but the European People's Party is on pole to... Yes. Is on and, course and to remain Ursula von der Leyen, she hasn't been damaged then by her stance where, where Israel was concerned. She though. hasn't, she hasn't. She has been slightly tainted, and there have been other names. There are rumours circulating, rumours around the place. Mario Draghi, former Italian Prime Minister, former governor of the European Central Bank, Emmanuel Macron, is said to favour him uh, as a potential potential successor candidate to Van der Leyen. Antonio Costa, former Portuguese PM, he's another name that has been thrown in there and may potentially arise. But I think myself, Van der Leyen, will, will hold on to the role. She has performed relatively solidly throughout her tenure. A little bit of uh, uncertainty recently with her comments on Israel, her support for Israel, and she has been accused of uh, of deviating from the party line in certain respects. So there are questions still to be asked around her, but I think on balance she has done a relatively good job uh, and will probably remain in situ for the next four years. The carbon cutting uh, regulations, will that play a big part in... Green politics yeah. is likely to play a big part anyway. Sustainability, climate issues, yeah. they're all feeding into it. Uh, they're all core issues at the heart of the EU's plan now. And the EU, of course is fighting for relevance on the global stage. The war in Ukraine has, I suppose, uh, created a sense of European solidarity uh, and it has forced Europe to to get its act together and act particularly in terms of military affairs. The same can be said for climate. The recent COP summit uh, illustrated that Mm. uh, the European Union in general needs to, I think... um, Realign some of its climate policies if it wants to survive, if it wants to achieve this in the net event zero goal. of a Trump victory, for example. Yeah, the isolation there between America and Europe. I mean, that that divide would become could more. be really dangerous. Yeah. Could be. I mean, in the event of a Trump victory, the entire global political landscape shifts, uh, and it immediately shifts. It immediately because questions you start asking questions: Will he remain a member of NATO? Will he remain a member of the Paris Climate Accord? All these things, all these policies which Joe Biden reversed, Trump is likely, or there's a possibility at least, that he could reverse them again. And transatlantic relations will suddenly be plunged into jeopardy. So a real concern on the part of senior EU leaders. They are hoping and praying that Biden is returned for a second stint uh, because it could be really dangerous from a from a global perspective. Speaking of elections, then the other big one, of course, is the UK general election. And it's down to two characters, really, isn't it? Two characters. And we had Rishi Sunak coming out last week, effectively confirming that the election would take place in the second half of this year. Uh, it'll be elect- an election bonanza, Fran. Uh, we're likely to have an Irish election, an Irish general election in the second half of this year as well, don't forget. Uh, so a lot of things happening. But in the UK, yeah, a long-awaited battle between two two politicians who, who aren't natural brawlers, who are kind of uh, calm reserve figures mm. in their own right and maybe 
not suited to the political campaigning that we would associate with the likes of Boris Johnson. Mm. You know, Johnson, for, for everything that you'll say about him and for all his... Uh, his mistakes and gaffes, he was a supreme election campaigner. Mm. Mm. Uh, a really, really skillful when it came to winning votes and winning votes in, in key constituent areas. So this time round, Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer will fight a very different campaign. Labour is well ahead in the polls. Keir Starmer, at this point, if an election were to be held, snap tomorrow, Keir Starmer is a shoe-in to become Prime Minister. But things can change, and things can change quite rapidly in UK politics. There is a little bit of, uh, well, I say a little bit, there is a lot of disgruntled faces and disgruntled sentiment towards Rishi Sunak and the Conservative government for what they have done throughout their tenure. Even since the Brexit referendum, we've been through how many Prime Ministers, uh, how many existential crises within the Tory party, and people are just getting fed up with that. People are just getting sick of it. They want change. Well, we'll And again, we mentioned it earlier on when we were chatting, uh, Thomas, I mean, immigration, will that be the card that Rishi Sunak will play? It seems to be. He yeah. has really, he has really invested everything into it, hasn't he? he this Rwanda plan, sending immigrants. Well, will he be making the point that Starmer is light on immigration? Uh, that's it? exactly. Yeah. That's precisely yeah. the 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 narrative he will try to push. Uh, that Starmer is light on immigration. That Labour doesn't have a coherent plan for immigration, and that. Uh, his party is much more capable of dealing with the large number of asylum seekers fleeing to the UK. Uh, And that mainly through his Rwanda policy, his controversial policy whereby he sends refugees from Great Britain to Rwanda. uh, to to that was tossed out by the courts. It was tossed out by the court, but he has managed to pursue it through this legal loophole and is still likely to... Uh, to push some version of a true uh, into Parliament. So immigration is likely to be a key fighting point at this election. Uh, Immigration, the economy is another one. The UK economy, obviously, like a lot of economies across Western Europe and the Western world, struggling as a result of inflation. Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, will come out with his budget later this spring. It'll be very interesting to see that, to watch the figures. Will it be a giveaway budget? Will he look to try and uh, gain gain curry favour with the population at large and kind of win a few more votes? It will be very interesting, but Labour have a number of skillful politicians there. Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, who is uh, uh, a skillful politician and a very clever individual. She is there and she will present her own budget package, which I'm sure will be scrutinised as well. So you have two parties really vying for power. Labour as I said, a, a shoe-in at this present moment in time to become uh, the next government, but by no means certain because it's the, interesting. Yeah. the ground and, can and, shift. And at the core of their argument, uh, you, it's that Ronald Reagan quote, isn't it? Ask yourself, this: are you and your family better off than you were 13 years ago? Is that, is that what will be at the core of their... That is precisely, and it, yeah. it is 13 years since the Conservatives were last, or were first elected to government in this in this tenure anyway, since Labour was last yes. in government. We've been through David Cameron, who's obviously now back in the fold as Foreign Secretary, uh, Liz Truss, Boris Johnson... All these several different prime ministers, we now have Rishi, and none of them have managed to 
restore stability. If you want my opinion, I think Cameron was the best of them. I think he just made a catastrophic error when he called that uh, yeah, yeah Brexit referendum. I think he had restored a bit of credibility to the UK. He was a safe pair of hands. He's probably a safe pair of hands right now as Foreign Secretary. Looks quite authoritative mm. and, and speaks with, yes, with authority. What a, what a miscalculation. Where what a miscalculation. He really, wrong. really got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, terribly. And speaking of Brexit, what about relations with Europe and the part that will play in this election? Yeah, it's likely to feature heavily because the Conservatives and Rishi Sunak are... They're not taking a hard line in Europe. They're happy to work with Europe, but they're, Sunak is still a Brexiteer and he voted for Brexit and he, he was a campaigner for Brexit and he still wants to maintain a degree of distance between the European Union and the UK. So he wants them to remain separate separate entities. But as we see, uh, increasingly, these, these two have to work together. Uh, and that's in respect of the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, Gaza. Paradoxically, as horrible as those crises, those wars or conflicts are, it has brought Europe together and it has brought the UK back into the, the European loop a little bit more uh, because Western countries have been forced to, to get together and get behind the UK or get behind uh, mm. the Ukraine and get behind... Uh, the crisis in the Middle East. It's going to be very interesting. And referring back to our conversation about uh, the American uh, presidential election, uh, somebody saying to us, I was reading about posts yesterday by Republicans and many saying that they'll vote blue again just to keep Trump out. Is there an element of Republicanism, uh, Republicans that want to keep Trump out? I, I think there certainly is. Yeah. I think you have. We had Mike Pence on Sky News yesterday morning really launching a stinging rebuke of Trump and, and his policies and what he did in respect of January 6th. So you do have a, a growing cohort of kind of middle class, middle ground Americans who are just not willing to put up with him anymore. They want Trump without the drama. They may support conventional Republican policies such as low taxes and whatnot, but they just cannot cope with, with more of Trump's uh, melodrama and his, his antics on the the global stage but then you have a core of supporters there who are going to vote for him no matter what who don't care uh, and the listener making a very good point as well and I suppose it's how we uh, visualise it from here uh, saying it's a sad state of affairs when the two best candidates for for uh, Americans uh, presidency uh, produces these two men and that, that it's an interesting point isn't it it this is an interesting point you, you wonder with. can America do better and mm. I mean Look, I think Joe Biden has has performed relatively well as president, but he is 81 years of age. I'll try not to be ageist here. He's 81 years of age. He kind of is prone to gaps. Yeah. He lacks the vitality that a president maybe would or should have. And it is a little bit of an indictment of US politics because there are plenty of younger guns. I think of Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, Ron DeSantis on the Republican side. There are plenty of young men and women out there. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, should really, and she's not popular at all for some mm. reason or other, but she could find herself being called into office very, very quickly wow. uh, were the unthinkable to occur. But you do wonder if America could could do better than these two guys, particularly in a rematch. You know, we've had it. We, we've been there, done that. And for it to happen again and the divisiveness and yeah. the toxic politics that it will engender, it, it's not going to be a nice eight months. It's going to be a... It's going to be a bumpy ride for everyone concerned, I think. Thomas, is always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Pleasure, Fran. Uh, Thank Thomas you. Thomas Conway uh, chatting there to us about uh, global politics. News and information's coming up. Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 